0: So you guys, you guys have made it. You guys have survived a couple weeks of college. I mean, you're still here, so that's good. You haven't flunked out yet. I'm sure by now you know which professors are actually going to use the textbooks that you paid so much money for, and other ones which are going to waste a lot of your money, but hopefully not your time, right? So, And which days to go to the calf and the food's good, and which days to not go to the calf and the food's not so good. So, You guys are like seasoned veterans already in college, so props to you. Tonight we're going to talk about a topic that is so, so simple, so easy. We already know all about it. We're probably all experts. I don't need to be here. You guys can come. We can probably just go home. It's just love. We're just going to talk about love, right? We all already know everything there is to know about love. So we can just go home, all right? What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Um... I want us to start off in prayer so that the Lord can help us with this topic of love here tonight because he knows a little bit more than I do about it. So, Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have loved us first and we can follow after your example. Lord, we pray that tonight you can use me and your Holy Spirit can speak and that we can learn a little bit more about your heart, about your character, and about how to love you better and to love those around us better. We pray all this in your beautiful name. Amen. So I'm going to talk about love tonight, and next week, Scroggins is also going to talk about love, so he can clean up my mess and undo all the heresy that I'm going to do tonight. So it'll be fine. So come back next week, because it'll be better. (laughs) But I believe that we should first start off with a definition of love, because I think that sometimes when we talk about some of these, like, heavy topics, we often talk in circles with people you guys have probably experienced it sometimes you're talking with someone and you just can't get somewhere with them because you and them have a different idea of the word it is that you're talking about for example i've had people they're like yeah i'm just i'm really progressive and i'm like progressive towards what like what does that mean you can progress off a cliff but that doesn't mean it's a good thing like like what is what does that word mean to you i don't think it means the same as the way that you're using it and so Love is another really important word that we need to be on the same page and we need to start from the same place. And so we're just going to go through a quick definition of love. And I would write this one down. We're going to say it a lot here because it's really important. Love is unselfishly choosing for the highest good of God and his kingdom. Love is unselfishly choosing for the highest good of God and his kingdom. And so we're going to talk a little bit more about what that means And I think an easy way to just kind of live that out is to ask, in everything that you do, what will bring God the most glory? If I do this, what will bring God the most glory? And you'll be right in line with that definition of love, unselfishly choosing for God and his kingdom. And so as much as I love the English language, it has its shortcomings. Like, besides being extremely difficult to learn if it's not your first language, I mean, we we park in the driveway, we drive in the parkway, We get on a bus, but in our cars. Why why is that? There's no reason to a lot of these things in English. And one of the things that's its shortcomings is that it only has one word for love. I can say I love my wife and I love the Chicago Cubs, and hopefully you can assume that I mean something different. I don't mean the same thing, but we only have one word for it, and the Greeks had four. The Greeks had four words for love. Storge, eros, phileo, or philos, and agape. And so we're going to look at two of those particular words, because only two of them appear in Scripture, philos and agape. And we're going to look at a particular example in Scripture that uses that. But for this example, I'm going to need a volunteer, a volunteer. So I would like, I would like somebody who's a freshman to come up, if they're willing to come up. Ian is pointing to someone who's not looking at me. A fresh man or fresh woman. Right, We've got one in the backyard. Right, you can come on up. what's your name sabian 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 all right sabian that's a really cool name for right now i'm going to call you simon peter son of john okay (laughs) is that cool and i'm going to be jesus in this example only we all know jesus looked like seth jones so So I'm going to be Jesus, and I'm going to ask you a couple questions, Simon Peter, son of John, all right? Ready? Okay. Simon Peter, son of John, do you love me? Yes. No, no. Simon Peter, son of John, do you love me? Yes. Simon Peter, son of John, do you love me? Yes. All right, thank you. You can sit down. (laughs) Give him a round of applause. Jesus asked Sabian three times, do you love me? Now, why would Jesus ask the same question three times? He got the answer that we would want, right? He said, yes. Peter specifically said, yes, Lord, you know I love you more than these. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. In English, it doesn't make any sense to us. But that's where we're going to look at the Greek. There's something there that isn't as evident when you look at the English. And so let's look at the Greek here. We're going to look at this passage from John 21 verses 15 through 17, and we're going to look at the English and we're going to look at the Greek. So the first time when Jesus says to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Jesus uses the word agapao, form of the word agape. And what does Peter say in response? Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. But Peter says phileo, a form of philos. So Peter doesn't answer the same way that Jesus asked the question. Let's look at the second time. Jesus asks Simon Peter again, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? Again, using that word for love, agape. And what does Simon Peter say? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. With phileo. And let's look at the third time when Jesus asks again. Now this time when Jesus says to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Jesus uses phileo. And what is Peter's response? It says Peter was hurt. Because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things, you know that I love you, using the word phileo. Now, what's the difference here? What does this matter? What does phileo mean? Phileo, Phileo is a love of liking. If you've ever heard of Philadelphia, meaning the city of brotherly love, this love that the Greeks used with the word phileo was a love of liking, a friendship. It was kind of like... A love that's called out of one's heart in response to the pleasure that they take in the person. It was a friendship. It was a, a like. It was a really weak form of love. And When Jesus asked the question with agape, agape is more of a love of prizing. It's a love that values the object of its affection. It's a selfless, sacrificial love. It's not tied to circumstance like phileo is. So when Jesus is asking this question, he's really asking Peter, Peter, do you love me more than anything? Are you willing to die for me? Will you sacrifice yourself and all the customs and cultures that you've known to live your life and to die, if necessary, for my sake? And Peter says, yeah, bro, I like you. Like, I really like you. You're like a cool guy. That's what Peter says. Now, we miss this when we look into English, but when we look at the Greek, it's really clear. Jesus is asking him for a sacrifice, for a real, real commitment. And Peter won't give it to him. And the third time, Jesus concedes. And I think that I don't really know why he asks with phileo the third time. I think that Jesus is kind enough to meet Peter where he's at and says, All right, Peter, I can accept this lower love that you're giving me, knowing that in time, things would change, circumstances would change. But Jesus is looking for a full commitment from Peter, and Peter won't give it to him. And this leads us to our first point about love. That true love, this agape, is unconditional. True love is unconditional. It is love without condition. Where the phileo love required a love back. It's like, if you love me, then I'll love you back. Or I like being with you. I like hanging out with you. Agape says, regardless of circumstance, I will love you. Regardless of condition. And you see, we so often say, as long as you make me happy, I'll love you. As long as you're nice to me, I'll be nice back to you. You respect me, I'll respect you. You know, we hear these things. We know these things. We sometimes say these things to people. But that's not what God calls us to do. That kind of attitude is that love of phileo that Peter was showing to Jesus. When we say, I'll love you if, or I'll love you when, or I'll love you because. If you behave this way, then I'll love you. If you don't wrong me, then I'll love you. But watch out if you wrong me. We put conditions on our love. And God's love is not like that at all. It doesn't have those conditions on it. His love is not a because of, or until, or unless, or if, or when. God will love us no matter what because his love is rooted in who he is and not who we are. His love is rooted not in us, but in who he is. And we get hurt by others and sometimes we don't immediately want to love them back because our love is that kind of phileo love. It's a lesser love, a self-seeking kind of love. And when we get hurt, our tendency is to get defensive and our willingness to love is just going to shrink. We're not as willing to love when we've been wronged by someone. Let me ask you this. If somebody was to hurt you, who has the power and the ability to hurt you the most, the deepest? Somebody that you've never met before or somebody that you're really, really close to? A significant other, a spouse, a parent. Those are the people that can hurt you the most because they know you the deepest. If somebody came up to me on campus and said, hey, you don't look like you're a student. You're old. You're ugly. I'd be like, hey, that's, you're, you're just not a nice person. That's not very nice, you know? And it would hurt me. It would really hurt me a little bit. But it wouldn't really matter that much because I don't know that person. Like, it's like, okay, that guy's just kind of a jerk. I don't know. And I could shake that off. But if my wife said to me, you know what, Ryan? You are ugly. <laughs> That would hurt. That would hurt so much. That would not be fun. (laughs) And she would never say that. She's lovely and kind. You got a chance to meet her. She's wonderful. She wouldn't say that to me. But you see, because she's close to me, because we know each other so well, she has the power to hurt me more than some random person on campus who's just a jerk. (laughs) And this is because of a very simple concept, but it's so important when we understand what love is, that grief is proportional to intimacy. And this is so true. Grief is proportional to intimacy. We know this to be true in every area of our life, and so this is something that we have to keep in mind when we love others, and we are aware that we have the ability to hurt others if we're not loving to them. And C.S. Lewis, my favorite author, says this. He shed some wisdom on the topic, and he says this, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything in your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Now I've known a lot of people who've taken this quote and they stop right there. They say, yeah, you know what? I don't want to get hurt. I don't want to be vulnerable. My heart will be wrung and possibly broken. Love is not, it's not worth it at all. Okay, I should give it to no one, not even an animal, just do little hobbies. Okay, cool, cool. I don't want to be hurt. And they become callous. And they take this quote and they live by it. But that's like when you take a scripture out of context. Like when you're reading in Luke and Jesus is like, you need to hate your mother and your brothers and your father. And your... Yeah, you know what? I'm going to hate everybody. Jesus said it right there. It's in the Bible. <laughs> you got to keep reading. But like, come on, man. <laughs> It's really so you so just think would jesus actually say that without any other context like no, that's not his character We have to read scripture in god's tone and with his voice and so If you take this quote and you just stop right there You miss the exact point of what c.s. lewis is trying to argue against So if we continue this quote He says this He says you would lock it up safe In the casket or coffin of your selfishness. Ooh The quote was like fun and now it's now you call me selfish Ooh, CS. (laughs) But in that casket, safe, dark, and motionless, airless, it will change. It will become, it, it will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. And so Lewis is telling us here that if we do that, we won't be able to love anything. Yeah, we won't get hurt by others because... We won't even be able to love. It'll be irredeemable. We must be willing to be vulnerable. We must be willing to get close to people, even at the cost that potentially we might be hurt. Because love is worth it. We must love even if there's a potential to be hurt. This is what God does for us. He loves us even though we are going to hurt him. Because his love is unconditional. It isn't rooted in who we are, but who he is. It's not based on whether or not we'll love him back. So because this is true, what kind of pain do you think that God feels when we make these selfish choices? If grief is proportional to intimacy, and God knows each and every one of us more intimately than we can imagine, his heart must feel immense pain when we sin. But we also know that his love and his goodness is greater than our sins, And when we repent and come humbly back to him, he makes us as white as snow and casts our sins as far as the east is from the west. Although our sins are terrible and they hurt God deeply, he has made a way for us and has forgiven our sins. But there's one other thing that I learned when studying this topic, and this is so interesting, that there's another thing that truly breaks God's heart. And when I first read this, it blew my mind. It is remarkable, and I never thought this way before. So, we're going to take a look at an excerpt from the Old Testament where we see God's heart revealed in a very real and raw way. We're going to turn to the book of Hosea, but before we do, I want to give us some context. So, Hosea was a prophet sent by God to the people of Israel. The Israelites were living in direct disobedience to God, and while still claiming to be following him, they were his chosen people. They were living in sin, and they were still trying to serve God and receive his blessings. Hosea was sent by God to speak on his behalf. He was a mediator for the people and to be a voice of what God intended for them. So we'll jump in here to a point where Hosea is alone with God and God is sharing his heart in a really real way by speaking through him. This is Hosea 6.4. Hosea 6.4. And God speaking through Hosea says this, What can I do with you, Ephraim? Ephraim being another name for Israel. What can I do with you, Judah? Your love is like the morning mist, like the early dew that disappears. So this is God speaking and God's saying, what do I do with you, Israel? What do I do with you, Judah? Your love is like the morning mist, like the early dew that disappears. So there's a difficulty in God's heart. And he's speaking about this difficulty to Hosea. But he doesn't mention anything about our sins. What is causing this difficulty in God's heart? It says, our love. Our love, which is a good thing, is causing difficulty in God's heart. Your love is like the morning mist, like the early dew that disappears. You see, our fleeting love is what causes God great trouble in his heart. When our love consists of Tuesday nights and Sunday mornings and the rest of the week There's no sign that we even love god That is what breaks his heart the most He can handle our sins. He has made a way for that But what causes him the deepest Utter turmoil and trouble in his heart Is when we say we love him And we don't live it out What can I do with you? What do I do with you? He says that to us we turn to him and then we run away and we turn to him again and we run away we come to the altar and then we go back home and do something else what can i do with you and this this fleeting love is what jesus calls in the new testament being lukewarm jesus says specifically that he would rather us be hot or cold than to be lukewarm it's evident that this this duplicitous two-faced love is what hurts god deepest and we see this in our own lives, too. We, we know that we, we hate when people are fake with us, right? It's just the worst. Like, I'd rather, if, if you're like, man, I don't want to be your friend, and you walk away, I can handle that. You know, hey, you're ugly, you know. I can deal with that. But if someone's fake with you, they're kind of your friend sometimes, and they'll smile, and then they'll turn their back. And We hate that the most, right? That's the one that hurts our heart probably the most. And this is because the same thing is true for the Lord, We sometimes even say, what can I do with this person? I don't know. Maybe we say other worst things about that person. Like, what do I do with this person? They're my friend, but they're not. And even amidst of all this hurt that we cause God, he still loves us. He still chooses to forgive us. And this reveals a very important aspect of true love. Forgiveness. Unconditional love requires forgiveness. Forgiveness. Unconditional love requires that we forgive. And if you'll notice, I said that God chooses to forgive us. It's a choice. And this is important. Because how many of you guys feel like forgiving others? When someone has hurt you deeply and they've wounded you, how often do we feel like, yeah, I just forgive them right away? No one, right? Like, I'm not alone, right? We don't feel that way. Someone cuts you off and you're driving down the road on Bryant. You're not like, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Like, that's not how we react. It's usually, Father, something worse, you know. (laughs) Condemn them for they know what they do, you know. We don't respond that way. Like, we don't feel like forgiving in the moment. But we have to forgive. I just said unconditional love requires forgiveness. So how, how do we remedy that? Well, it must mean that for love, there must be just more than our emotions, simply. That leads us to the second point tonight, that true love is not just emotional. True love is a choice, not just a feeling. And this is so important. True love is a choice, not just a feeling. As God chooses to forgive us in the midst of our our ugly sins and our fleeting love, we must also choose forgiveness towards others. It can be said this way, that we must forgive the inexcusable in others because God has first forgiven the inexcusable in us. We have to extend that grace. We have to. And we also can know that true love isn't just emotional because you can love someone even when, like, in the moment, you don't like them, if that makes sense. Like, love must be greater than just emotions because there's times sometimes we don't feel like loving others. And sometimes others just aren't lovable in their current state. And that might sound harsh. That might sound harsh. But interpret me correctly here, and we'll look at what G.K. Chesterton has to say about this. Chesterton says this in his book, Orthodoxy. He says, there is a great lesson of beauty in the beast. That a thing must be loved before it can be lovable. A thing must be loved before it can be lovable. And in this story, the beast was not lovable to begin with. But Bell loved the beast anyway, in spite of his unlovable condition. And spoiler alert, they end up together happily ever after, you know. The beast gets transformed back into the handsome prince that he was before. And that shows us cool things about love, that we can love the unlovable and that love is transformational power. That's the coolest thing. It doesn't leave us where we're at. We are called to love the unlovable. Imagine this. What if Jesus didn't love the unlovable people around him? What if Jesus, on the way to the cross, they're shouting at him, spitting at him, cursing him, beating him. What if he stopped and he turned? And for just a moment, just one moment of failure, he turns and he spits back at them and he curses at them. Would that change anything? Would that change the gospel message? Yeah. But he didn't. Because Jesus, in that moment, chose to say in his heart, and then later out loud, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He chose forgiveness. Because love is a choice and it's not just emotions. His emotions in that moment were certainly not ones of forgiveness. But he chose to be obedient to the Father in love anyway. Now this is something that I've been thinking about. So this past summer, my wife and I got to go to Italy. We got to go to Rome, which was so cool. Like, it felt like being in a movie. I think we have some pictures too. So, top left, we were at my friend's wedding, and so it was really awesome. And then bottom right, something about the Lizzie McGuire movie. And top right, it's a big, like, arena. Bottom left, Assassin's Creed. So it was really cool. Like, it was a lot of fun. Like, it was so cool. Um, We were there for a week, and we ate incredible pizza. I had the best gelato you have ever could imagine. And it was so fun. Like, we got to see where we went. There was a beautiful church. And it felt like we were in a movie. Like, it was so cool. And there were so many more things I wanted to see. We didn't even get to go to Venice or Pisa or Naples or Tuscany or Milan or Venice. Like, so many cities in Italy that were beautiful. And we only really went to Rome and to Florence. And so that week that we were there, it's like, this is like paradise. Like, I love the history behind it. I love everything that we were witnessing. The food was so good. And we were together, which is awesome. But as we were nearing the end of our trip... We realized that we were homesick. Why would we want to leave paradise? Well, it's because that paradise isn't just paradise when you're not with the ones that you love. Paradise isn't paradise when you're not with the ones that you love. We had friends and family in humid Houston, Texas area. Why would we want to leave the beautiful Mediterranean and come to that? And that's because it wasn't paradise without them. We wanted to be with the ones that we loved. We missed our friends. We missed our family. And this is the story of the gospel. This is what Jesus says to us. This is why God sent his only son to die for us. Because the hope of an eternity in heaven with you and you and with all of us here was worth all the pain and suffering that he might undertake. God said, you are worth it. He sent his son who was in heaven in perfect community to this diseased, sinful, selfish world and said, this is worth it. I make this choice for you because the thought of eternity without you would grieve his heart so dearly. He made that decision for us. And this leads us to our final point that true love is supernatural. True love is supernatural in its origins. It originates in God sending Jesus to the world for our sake. He counted the cost and said, it's worth it. It's worth it. True love is rooted in God's beauty, his unselfish character, and his love that seeks for our highest good. God looks at us and says, I want what's best for you. No matter what it's going to do to me. The pain that it's going to hurt me. And that is that agape love of valuing others first. It's so vastly different than our earthly love where we seek our own pleasure and our own gain. 1 John 4.19 puts it so simply. It says, we love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. That's it. True love is supernatural. And in fact, scripture says God is love. And in that particular verse, it doesn't say God is loving, although he is. It doesn't say God loves us. But he does. It says God is love. And that's so important. We said earlier that words matter. And I believe that this is so important. God is love. It's not a facet of his character or an attribute. But it is simply who he is. God is love. Michael Harper says it this way. Because God is love. We do not discover God from our experience of love. But we discover love from our experience of God. So simple and then it says every attempt to conceive love as a principle Becomes distorted either in rigorous legalistic sense or in the hedonistic sense We can't fully comprehend love man only knows what the love of god is When he sees the way in which god acts and he only knows how he himself ought to love By allowing himself to be drawn by faith into this activity of god And that is why reading scripture is so important Because by reading the Bible, we are literally learning how to love. Because we're learning about God. God is love and the word became flesh. And you see, we can only learn to love by learning to read scripture. Because true love is so supernatural, it also means that any love without God can never be true. And it can't last. This is why it's not possible just to be like a, a nice loving person. Without God and go to heaven scripture is clear on this Jesus says there is no way other than through him and his love Jesus is the only way Any love of our own cannot be unconditional. It cannot be agape And this is why we need the power of the Holy Spirit to live within us And just look at Peter before he was filled with the Holy Spirit. He merely said to Jesus I'm fond of you. I like you. You're my friend and then he deserted Jesus and denied him three times when things got tough. But after Peter received the Holy Spirit, he preached the gospel to the ends of the known world, including bringing the word of God to the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, which is something that was never been done in the history of the world before. And that boldness and that love that he had that was said, I'm willing to go anywhere and do anything for you, Jesus, that came from the Holy Spirit. And we should desire it as well. With his own limitations of love, Peter was a bad friend and a coward. But with the supernatural power and love of the Holy Spirit, he was a bold preacher and loyal even to the point of death. So as we close, I want us to leave with one last word from Jesus. And notice that this is merely not a suggestion, but a command from Jesus. In John 13, 34 and 35, Jesus says this, A new command I give you, love one another As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know you are my disciples, if you love one another. Jesus said they will know you are Christians by your love for one another. We are called to love not with phileo, the love of liking, but with agape, a true love of prizing and a selfless, sacrificial love. We are called to unselfishly choose for the highest good of God and his kingdom. And the only way that is possible is for us to deny ourselves and to call upon God and his Holy Spirit. The best way to understand what real love is, is to spend time with the one who is love. It's so simple. If you want to know how to love others better, spend time with the one who is love. And I'll tell you this, if you're afraid of being hurt, turn to Jesus If you're afraid of caring too much and not having your care reciprocated, turn to Jesus. If you're afraid of being lied to and cheated on and wounded, turn to Jesus. Because he had all those things happen to him. And he is still love and he always will be. His love is greater than any you will ever find. And his word will never return void. If you're here tonight and you've heard this message of God's love before, that he loves you unconditionally, but you haven't yet begun to love others the same way, I want you to let go of any fears that you have and trust him and his Holy Spirit to speak to you because he will. So you can love others as Jesus commands us to do. And if you're here and this is all new, you've never before been told that you are unconditionally loved by a God who has known you since the foundations of the world and who sent his only son to die for you, to be raised again. I want you to pray to the Lord and repent for your sins and ask him to come and dwell in your heart with true, real love, and he will not disappoint you. Wherever you're at, I encourage you to come humbly to the Lord and ask for more of his love in your life so that you can share it with others. In this front area here is an altar, and there's Nothing particularly special about it, but I do believe that God will honor a public declaration of surrender to him. And if you come to the front, we can have small group leaders pray for you and pray with you so that the Lord's love can come into your life. So if you'll stand with us as we worship and come forward as you feel led.